0: You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach.
1: Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. October. It's October already. You realize we're one month away from whatever the heck is going to happen to this country and whatever is going to happen to our democracy. And I'm starting to think of democracy the way I think of the planet. We assume it will take care of itself, we ignore it, and then suddenly it's not just in trouble it's in serious trouble and we act like we didn't know this was happening we act like this is a big surprise i did plan to learn a new language in the pandemic so i which i of course didn't do so i believe me i understand sort of ignoring something until it's almost too late but that's how it feels but look we're active. I'm activated. I'm texting voters in North Carolina. I'm sending money to Katie Porter and Joe Biden. I'm not able. This is the first presidential election that I haven't gone to a swing state and leafleted or helped get out the vote or register voters. So that doesn't feel good. But- You know what? I'm screaming into my mask. I'm screaming on Twitter. I'm screaming. Well, screaming isn't the right thing to do. That doesn't help. But I'm trying to be loudly a partisan, but in a nice way, not in a screaming way, in a very nice way. But, you know, I am riled up because we had that so called debate and it was gross and it sort of made everybody a little hysterical, myself included. Okay, calm. Calm, calm. Guess what? Our guest today is none other than Malcolm Nance. You've seen him on TV. He is a veteran of 20 years in the Navy. He speaks many languages, as one does when one works in counterterrorism. He's written several books, including The Plot to Betray America, How Team Trump Embraced Our Enemies, Compromised Our Security, and How We Can Fix It. If this American experiment fails, Malcolm Nance can always be a voiceover star. (laughs) You'll see. First, my five things. Number one. We just celebrated the Jewish high holidays, but we celebrated them online. And I thought I would feel disconnected or lonely watching my service on my computer screen, but you know what? I didn't. And since these holidays are very crowded in our synagogue, I'm usually sitting way in the back and squinting to see the rabbi's face or the cantor's face. But live stream, I could see them up close because the camera work was good. And in a way, it felt much more intimate. So I'm wondering if you do observe the Jewish holidays, did you bother watching your services online? How did they make you feel? Okay, number two, now that I'm home in New York, I have my whole closet. So it's like I have all new clothes because in California, I had about 10 things that I rotated heavily. So now this is like I'm shopping my closet. I kind of like what I have. And by the way, I don't wear sweats at all. I get dressed every day. Not saying I deserve points for it, but I do it. It makes me feel, mm, I don't know, proper. Number three, Peking duck. I remember... That I loved Peking duck, and I remember that it used to be kind of a staple on every Chinese restaurant menu, but guess what? It isn't. It really isn't. I've checked, at least in New York. And my partner and I love it. It's a it's what we order for a treat, and it was his birthday the other day. So I found some pretty good Peking duck, and we had it with a bottle of red wine, and that was his birthday. And and some phone calls from friends and family. That was his birthday. Number four, my mom. She's 90 and she still has a lot of sparkle left, even though she doesn't have much energy. And she's not the person who she was. She's not, you know, the mom who raised me. But my exhibits and I think she's funnier and even sharper than she was a year ago. So I'm very grateful that I still have her. Number five, patriotism. No one group owns the flag, and if by just wearing an enamel flag pin you claim to be a patriot, I don't believe you. That's not the proof of it. If there is a shred of silver lining within this monstrous administration, it is the recognition of all the whistleblowers and all the people who tried to do right and expose the corruption within. And those are patriots. I'm talking about Alexander Vindman and Sally Yates, Fiona Hill, Marie Ivanovitch. These people risk their reputations to serve our country. They are patriots. Wearing a pin doesn't tell me anything. And now my patriotic honor to introduce you to Malcolm Nance. Don't go away. Lisa Birnbach here. Very excited to talk to my guest this week. As you know, I told you Malcolm Nance is with us. You just saw him on on The Last Word. You just saw him on MSNBC because he's always there. Unfortunately, in a way, we need him there. We need him on call. He is the executive director of a virtual think tank called Tapestry which deals with strategy, tactics, radical ideologies. He is an MSNBC contributor, an author of three books, an Arab-speaking former career intelligence officer, somebody who has been on the ground, who has walked the walk, and has done more than most bone spur holders. And he is somebody we can talk to about the Russian interference in the upcoming election. Malcolm, so good to have you with us. Well, I'm very happy to be here. And tell me, so that the crocodile on my shirt doesn't just run off and commit harakiri, tell me how it is that we can be in any way assured that our votes will count in November?
0: Well, I really wish that I could give you a deep, long-lasting and satisfying assurance of that, but I can't. But one of the things I can do is that I can tell you that the U.S. voting system is so disparate um, Mm -hmm. from precinct to precinct. One Mm -hmm. precinct might have punch hole voting cards. The other one may have the mechanical voting card where you pull the lever. A third may have electric or electronic <laughs> ballots. And uh-huh. another one may have paper ballots. And it's so hard to get, you know, it's not unified in any way, shape or form that it's impossible to hack at that level. But if, ah. you, if you recall the oldie days back when we were kids on election nights, you would watch on, you know, like a, a, a VHF, You know, television channel and the local news would actually have the tallies coming in from the states, uh, the state election board. And they used to actually tabulate each county on a chalkboard uh, on TV so that you would get those results as they were called in and phoned in. These days, the state attorney generals tabulate the votes as they come in from each one of the counties or various precincts, and it's done on a computer. And that is the one place that can be hacked where the election results could be changed. So Uh for the most part, you actually getting your ballot in, going in and voting on a machine. But, you know, you're relatively safe. There have been examples. I know when um, they had the senatorial race in Texas where machines were caught flipping votes, people were videotaping. You know, they would punch Beto "Work" three times and it would come up Ted Cruz every time.
1: Yeah. Funny how that was. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And uh, these glitches happen. It's just that every time an election ends, there are no official law enforcement agencies or commissions that go in and investigate him. I believe those days are over. This election, which could, and I personally believe, is the single most important election in American history. Mm -hmm. I mean, even more important than the election of 1860, which brought about the Civil War, because we knew where those states were going, right? They didn't
1: want to participate. Right, right.
0: So, right. No, this one, one
1: this t- is terrifying. And, sure. you know, the thing is, and you have devoted your career to pursuing the right and just way on behalf of this country. You serve this country beautifully. You are a patriot. You you care about what's right and what's wrong. That doesn't seem to exist anymore in this Moment. Well, uh, and how do you, how do you how do you sleep at night? I mean, well, I, I'm not sleeping at all because uh, you know that this this fear has penetrated my. Pores.
0: Well, you know, I used to sleep at night, and um, <laughs> and then uh, I I was being called in on shows like uh, you know Lawrence O'Donnell, The Last Word, right. ten o'clock, right. and then or you know Brian 11 at Donald eleven, Brian, yeah. <laughs> And then we started doing special coverage at one a.m. Oh, and uh, but you know I do sleep at night because I need the energy to be prepared for the next day. And yes. you know, I've I've I'm a, I'm a combat veteran. I've been all over the world. I've been in crazy places. I've been rocketed, mortared, and landmined. And you know what? If you don't get mm-hmm. your energy together, if you're not ready to face this and fight to defend American democracy, you 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 will just succumb to the forces who want you to give up and
1: throw your right. No, it's interesting that the man at the center of all this mess is a weak man, a coward, somebody who is a big bully. I know you are, but what am I? He projects Everything and he's a racist, as we know. Sure, who is really the engine behind him? Because I don't think he has the stamina, the health, the brain, the, the with itness to be the architect of this uh giant mess that he's made. And I, I can't imagine that he just standing up one day decided I'm not going to uh, recognize the results of the election, no matter you know, until I decide that I've won.
0: You know, I would like to really choose a good metaphor for who he is, and you know the the first thing that pops to mind is the Wizard of Oz that he's actually just um, a guy behind the curtain, but he's nowhere near benevolent. Right? right? He doesn't give. Right, who, no, you know he's sort of like right. uh, he's sort of like uh, the the Wicked Witch of the West. Plus, I would think that Donald Trump is the engine behind whatever is going on that wow. comes out of his mouth. However, I have to couch that because I, I recently had a very nice lunch with uh, one of his friends, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, and he cleared something up for me. And I said, listen, you know this guy, you've been around him for years. What is what is his the ideology in his head? And he said, listen, here's some one thing you need to know about Donald Trump. He is impressionable. He doesn't Mm -hmm. really know anything, but he has this innate ability to watch you, to watch a room, to hear what's being said, to see where you're going with your words. He will adopt what you're about to say. And then if there's enough input from multiple players in that room, he will co-opt it Mm -hmm. and carry it out as if it was his own genius idea while feedbacking it to you. Like, hey, you know, you were thinking great the same way that I was thinking great. But he, in fact, is an empty vessel in that respect. However, we're talking about a guy who is essentially, and this is for people our age, Richie Rich, right? The yeah. Or poor little rich yeah. kid from the comic books. Right. And he is Richie Rich, who's become a, you know, a sexual molester, who has been given his own way, who has learned to read society and manipulate people who are weak-minded or people who really want what he has, who want to emulate what they believe he has. The problem is, is that you have two other components to this that give Donald Trump his power. One, right. it's the Republican Party. Yeah. And I liken them to the uh, the, the mythical character of the schmoo from Little Abner. That was <laughs> a bowling pin shaped imaginary animal in, in Dogpatch, West Virginia, which if you looked at it, would pop into the very object of food you desired. So if you stared at his schmoo, he would turn into a ham, or he would turn uh, into right. a dozen eggs. And right. the Republican Party realized Donald Trump was so beloved by the base that they had to become his schmoo. So whenever he wow. says, look, I'm going to be an overt racist and cage children. He would stare at them and they would go, boom, they would turn into overt racist who cage children because they so feared the average gun toting barefoot dog patcher that they didn't want to ever cross his power and his power is that he is the poor man's idea of a rich man and stupid man's idea of a smart man.
1: I love that. Yes. I love that. So you're saying, and you know, you know about torture and blackmail and all that, uh, and manipulation. You're saying that they are schmooing themselves into toadies. There's not some kind of deal with the devil that has turned Lindsey Graham into a lying, sniveling, uh, Yes, man. I mean, the commercials, you've seen them and heard them. You first see Lindsey Graham saying he's a xenophobic racist, a race baiting something. And then two minutes later in the commercial, or the next second, he says, I never said he's a xenophobic race baiting hater. So, you know, there's no like Lindsey Graham's dresses in the closet that I don't, you think, know, Trump has over him. I don't
0: think Trump has to reach that deep. I think wow. that. Become. Look, we're we're using the shmoo analogy. Whatever, yeah, the, shmoo. It's good. Whatever the magical properties that makes a shmoo turn into the thing that you desire means that your desires have to be a component of the shmoo's magical properties. And I think that Donald Trump, in you know being what he is, has given all of these people the permission slip to mm-hmm. become what they always were, mm-hmm. and they have always been race-baiting, xenophobe hypocrites, but now because they have the full support of 35 to 40% of the American public, they can throw decency and civility and rules and law and fairness and norms out the window, and the news media has allowed them to do it for the last four years because every time something horrible happens, the news media goes, well, his base is with him. Hey, how about the other 60% of the country who say that's disgusting. Nope. They don't don't care about them so long as he has the base. Well, then again, you know, Hitler had 30, I think it was 37% of the vote. And as the old saw goes, he used 30% of the population to bring along 30% of the population to wipe out 30% of the population.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does look, uh, all kidding aside, as, as if it does seem that he is using, I hate to say it, but it looks like he's using Hitler's playbook. But I don't think Trump is smart enough to have studied history. I don't think he, you know, if there were such a thing, I don't think he would have read it. I think this is just instinct and hatred and self-interest.
0: Well, actually, according to the the divorce proceedings of Ivana Trump and Donald Trump, she complained that he actually did read some of Hitler's writings and huh. uh, Mein Kampf in, in a book mm-hmm. a collection of Hitler's speeches. And uh, Hitler's was,
1: greatest hits. Right, yeah. which
0: were given to him by a, a friend. And a
1: friend, yeah. Uh-huh. I
0: think Donald Trump as a demagogue, you know, what's the old saying in, in basketball? Game knows game. And Donald Trump as a demagogue would yeah. look to these people and he would watch the History Channel or he would watch the World at War and would see what he wanted to see in that. He's not a great historian, but I believe he reads people. And so watching Hitler at, let's say, his, his, his original Nuremberg rallies, right, mm-hmm. a, place, mm-hmm. a place I've been to. I, 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 I was a great student of, of Nazi Germany uh, during my military career, and I had the opportunity to go to all of these, these places which were the center of the Reich. And I think Donald Trump saw the Nuremberg rallies as this phenomenal adulation and was jealous of how this man who was a carpenter and a failed painter and a corporal, you know, in the first world. And a buffoon. Uh Well, well, you know, Benito Mussolini was a buffoon and he literally created the concept of fascism, which is a corporation, a, a, a dictatorship of the corporate right. Look, buffoons can mass murder people. Okay. All they require is that their buffoonery be ignored and that they have a critical mass of people who are willing to carry out their most horrible orders. And, And I saw that when I responded to the Rwandan uh, the Rwandan genocide right. uh, in, in, in the 1990s. Well, 1980s, it, it right.
1: is interesting that Donald Trump has openly... Well, of course, he seems to worship uh, Vladimir Putin, but he also seems to admire Kim Jong-il and Erdogan and Turkey. He, d- he does like a strong man. Yes. It's almost like he is a boy crush on them. <laughs>
0: yeah, a boy crush. It, I, I think he's jealous. I think it is... Mm. It is true jealousy of watching people who he thinks he is equal to or better than rise above. And I I, I believe he's a student of raw dictatorial power. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, though we all laugh at him and say that he doesn't read. We know, you know, certainly um, some good examples of Donald Trump being a um, functional illiterate, have been pretty much been proven. He proved it himself. Tim O'Brien's video recorded deposition of his lawsuit back in the 1990s proved that he couldn't read a sheet of paper when forced Mm -hmm. to read a sheet of paper. But another part of that is his father's dictum of don't be caught out on paper, right? Don't be caught saying things out loud. Trump, since he had this world of New York City and the New York City hoi polloi of people that were better than him to try to rob, rip off, manipulate, it gave him this innate ability to talk to people who were not rich, who were not intelligent. You know, he was actually a character in professional worldwide wrestling, where he would come on and he would support, he would be the rich millionaire with the giant check, and he would come on to the stage and say, I'm supporting the evil guy, and the audience would boo, and he was like the evil Rich Biff character that he actually was designed after in in Back to the Future. Back to the Future, right. And then the good guy would win and he would come on stage and he would say, I was wrong. Here's the check. You deserve this. Trump understood the WWE voter, the Walmart full-time shopper. And he realized he can manipulate those people. And when he got them, the guy who was just above them, who was upper middle class and had a boat, came along with it, and then came the rich, older whites, and then Mm -hmm. the the political class and even college-educated whites who believed in tribalism over nationalism.
1: Well, it all is rather sickening. I think, you know, if the norms of the past were to stick and were to hold today, and I hope they do, they will all be voted out forever And this will be regarded not only, as you said, as the most important election in the history of our country, but as a four year blip of horror, of anti-democratic, treasonous behavior by the executive branch. And we can't leave out Bill Barr and his complicity in reforming the Justice Department as Donald Trump's personal defense lawyers.
0: Yeah. And let me tell you, there must be, if we win this and we must win this, when I say we, yes. I mean normal Americans okay yes. not the yes. cr- not the crazy 38 crazy 40 um who 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 worship trump as an idol and right. the, there's actually a poll out there 30 i think it was a hard 33 percent who say that they trust donald trump over science they trust yes. his word implicitly that's a hard deck as we say in the navy of crazy people <laughs> right that is that yes. is a Base which he stands upon, where the other 10% are waffly. And if they were to see, you know, some horrible thing like people shot and murdered in the streets, they would really start to start questioning things. But that hard deck of 30, 33% of people, they would carry out his every wish. And I have met them, uh, my neighbors are them, and I talk to them. I saw a guy just today at the. We were at the Lowe's and we're in, you know, veteran parking. And this guy has Vietnam veteran and yeah, no Vietnam veteran car. car. Uh-huh. And he's oh. got a Trump 2020 hat. And I said, "Hey man, I'm going to ask you this straight up." I said, "Combat veteran here, multi war combat veteran. How do you support a five time draft dodger?" And he goes, Right. he's making America great. So what you see is this guy shifts to a slogan. But what he doesn't want right. to say is, honestly, he believes in tribalism. And tribalism means that you believe that the white, rural, uneducated male tribe must be the dominant center of America forever. And you do not believe in those 12 letters that are above the capital, E pluribus unum. From many, one. Donald Trump's tribalism has turned that phrase into unum e pluribus, right? From one, one, there will be many. But dominance over the polity and that's where we stand into danger because he yes. has these people, and they are proud to say they're gun owners. I'm a gun owner, but I don't go around bragging about that. I'm going to overthrow <laughs> yeah. the government, or you know, caressing it and calling it Mary Jane like these guys do. Oh
1: man, that's it's not so, a joke, by the way. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm afraid. I, I was afraid it wasn't. You know, the thing is that his assault, in a way, on the military and on the veterans. It's not just that he. Called the dead, the wounded, the suckers and losers. It's not just the five deferments. It's just a, a lack of patriotism. I mean, it's 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 shocking to me that anybody would support him. But then I'm sure the person you talked to was a white guy, and mm-hmm. I think that racism is at. This is personal opinion. That racism is at the base of the base. Of course, as it, it were. I mean, why else? Why else? Oh, He's is. insulted everybody, hmm. everybody, except for the white schmuck who will vote for him.
0: This is why. Sorry use, to put it that way. Yeah, well, this is why I use the word tribal. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I when I I actually helped develop the Peace Corps global security program and one of the countries that I went to to evaluate their security was Papua New Guinea. And if Mm -hmm. you ever go to New Guinea, it's fascinating because really the people inside that country were only truly discovered about 100 years ago. And they are in especially in the upper highlands, not so much on the coast anymore, but in the upper highlands, those people live precisely as they've lived for the last 10,000 years with very, very little, you know, external intervention other than the introduction of automatic weapons.
1: And every- Oh, interesting.
0: Every village, every small village is its own separate tribe. And every village is terrified of any other village there. So, I mean, that's speaking very generically. So they have been involved in what are called bush wars, tribal wars forever. But it's a country where if you go to a city like, uh, you know, a small trading town like Goroka or Lay or even a big city like Port Moresby, Every person there is sort of mortally afraid of every other person they see on the street because they're not from their their one talk or their tribe. Donald Trump has understood that the shifting demographics in America are going to make the dominant tribe, the white male, uneducated, you know, uncollege educated person have less political force than they would. You know, the, the election of Barack Obama gave us the great white tribalist backlash and they don't yeah. care what it does to the United States. I mean if they don't I think we're in 1858 territory where people are yes. starting to seriously consider well maybe we shouldn't be part of them because they want to do all that e pluribus unum stuff and that allows women and brown people and people with that crazy education to uh come in there <laughs> and start telling us what to do based on science and knowledge. And it, it literally are we we have people who think the 244 year American experiment should end one woman put it earlier this year in a in in an interview a woman at a trump rally said i never thought that i'd want a dictator but if we have to have one it should be donald trump and i thought that is a flashing red light there they don't yeah. care that we call him a dictator and a tyrant. And they, in fact, use, you know, projection. They, they they reverse these words on us and call us a communist when his mentor is an ex-communist KGB officer. And he sends yeah. love letters to a North Korean communist tyrant. And then he gets, you know, money from a uh, Chinese communist, you know, the head of the Chinese Communist Party. This is where their psychopathy allows them to dissociate from what is actually happening. So long as they live in the information bubble of Fox News, and as Donald Trump said, only listen to my words for the truth. Don't listen to anything you hear on the television, even if it's a recording of Donald Trump.
1: Well, Malcolm, we could talk about this for hours, and I would love to, but i have to I have to bring us to a happier place oh, before this show ends Thank God and yes, thank God, so enough bad news. Let's go to your five things that make your life better and honestly, your list touched me so much. I first want to say that you have endured and survived something just heartbreaking. Your beloved wife died last year of cancer and Thank you for for bringing back your energy and your love of the country to do what you do. So,
0: well, my wonderful wife Marie Belleville Nance w- was with me for the last certainly seventeen years, and she edited all of my books. She's the one who got me out of the spy game, and oh, wow. and was like, "Look, that's enough wars. Come back and write some books." Uh-huh. Uh, but more importantly, she was she was my grounding in a world of turbulence and here's where donald trump's in trouble she's not there now i'm a little unchained these days <laughs> and that means that no it's not, it's not actually true she's in my head every moment any of course, anyone of who course. has been a widow or a widower knows what, what I'm talking about. I speak to my wife all the time, but um, she was a, an incredibly brilliant woman. Who, who, when we were in Abu Dhabi, was building islands out of the ocean. She designed, built, and delivered the entire island with the new Guggenheim and Louvre Museum. But you know,
1: wow, the, that was your wife who did that.
0: Yeah, NYU was on that island, the right? Taint Regis right. Resort. She designed the whole design and built the whole thing over ten years. Wow,
1: incredible! I, so you and John Sexton, and we're commuting together. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay, so your wife, your wife is not only number one, but also her gravestone. You said,
0: yeah. And you know, let's let's think about the, the meaning here of, of your show, which is the five things that that give you happiness or give you meaning in life. Mm-hmm. Um, when I lost Marie's, I I was you know devastated, uh, of course, and it, interestingly enough she had written some, uh, answered a series of questions on an ovarian cancer sisterhood website that I found Mm -hmm. months later. And the first question that they all asked themselves as a group is, will your spouse or partner be devastated? And she wrote, yes, Malcolm will be devastated. She said, but... I know him, and I know he has the strength to take care of the family, take care of the dogs, <laughs> take care of our, uh-huh. our house, and to move forward and be happy in life. And wow. I didn't understand just how important, for me, because it's different for every individual, right? I cannot apply right. any of these rules to any other person. But for me, uh, we had um, a, a beautiful farewell, or, and I'll see you later as somebody once uh-huh. described it, and right? at an Episcopal church in Philadelphia. And we had a military funeral because she is a military dependent wife. And right? we buried her in Washington Crossing National Cemetery. But for about three months, two or three months in the middle of winter, they hadn't had a gravestone. Ah. And, you know, one day we went there because my daughter and I, we go every two weeks like clockwork. And they said, hey, you know, your wife's gravestone's here. And I was like, well, where? And they were like, well, on the site, you know? So mm. we ran, we literally ran over to the site and saw that, you know, the little green plaque had been replaced by a beautiful gravestone. And mm. it's important to have something to touch for me. Um, yes. You know, I, I I, hug it, I kiss it, I talk to it. Uh, mm-hmm. And, or talk to her because she's right there. And, right. and most importantly is that is our site. That is where I'm going to end up for eternity yes. on top of my wife, even yes. even though she used to make jokes that, the, you know, the military wife always gets buried second, right? So she's <laughs> yes. like, I will be over you forever. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so I actually have written instructions that we are to be switched when, <laughs> when I pass. Oh,
1: so interesting. But also, you know, you bring up a great point, which is to touch something. Mm. In the last six months, most of, I, I have so many friends who are single mm. or, or widows or widowers or just alone. The ability to touch someone, something has been taken away from us. Ugh. And to be able to just stroke the gravestone, I see that as a very important thing to be able to do. So I, I'm touched by that. Well,
0: you know, it's also this, especially in this period of COVID-19, I am... S- I'm going to say something that would sound terrible but really is is heartfelt. I'm so glad she did not survive into the period of COVID-19.
1: I totally understand. She was
0: on a respirator for 77 days because she had oh. septicemia and I had oh. the ability to talk to her. She could, you know, move her lips and speak and uh-huh. she and she could emote. understand you. Mm-hmm. She would not have been given 24 hours, and I would never have seen her. So that's, we need to give s- true. to sympathy to our brothers and sisters who have lost people during this period.
1: For sure. For sure. And the number is obscene. Obscene. Number two on Malcolm's list. <laughs> very smart, especially when you're contemplating winter up north in New York State. Do you want to say it or should yeah.
0: I? Yeah, I'll say it. Radiant heated bathroom floors.
1: Oh, How, I love those. God. Oh, man.
0: Oh, my God, heaven. What?
1: Did, did the inventor of that When a... Uh, As they call it now, a Nobel Prize, (laughs) because that is a great invention.
0: Okay, I'm I'm giving everybody permission to tell their spouses they're going to get radiant heated floors. Yeah,
1: my my wife for sure.
0: My wife and I actually went on a trip to London a few years back, and I think we were staying at the Taj Buckingham Palace, and it was a nice hotel, the Taj. And one night. I went into the bathroom and I don't know what setting they had those floors, mm-hmm. but it was like 95 degrees. It was literally heating the room. <laughs> and I thought, and I was, it was cold in the room. And I, I went, stepped on those floors. I was like, that's it. All of our bathrooms are getting radiant heating floors. <laughs> and this summer I put radiant floors in all of our bathrooms. And just two days ago, it was 30 degrees up here at night. And, no uh, way. 87 yeah, degrees in sh- my bathroom floor.
1: Oh, so nice. So nice. The building next to ours has radiant heated sidewalks so that the fancy people's dogs um, <laughs> don't have a problem. I love it. I love it. I like to eat off of it. Um, number three. This is a a piece of music I don't know. The Shostakovich Jazz Suite Waltz, number two.
0: Oh, my God. How can you not know about Shostakovich Jazz Suite, number two?
1: Well, (laughs) I don't know. I may be a Philistine, but we will play it off for our podcast.
0: Yes, because, listen, this is... Everybody knows those Viennese waltzes. Correct. Who cares about those? You need a waltz (laughs) that has a saxophone in it. And this tweet by by Dmitry Shostakovich, I was a big classicist. I'm from Philadelphia. So even as a young black kid, I I played in the orchestra and and studied classical music. We had a wonderful classical channel that played uh, all the time there. But I had never heard this until one of my favorite television shows in history which was the, the modern era PBS-backed Nero Wolf mysteries. And oh, that's,
1: that's, I've heard of them, but I have not read them. Yeah. Or seen them.
0: And that's the one with Timothy Hutton as Archie Goodwin. Oh. And he is that's the best. I mean, he's just the best. Boom, hands he's down. He's a good
1: actor, yeah. Also,
0: he's- it's a beautiful set, you know, Nero Wolf's Office. And in one of them, there is a poisoning. But it's at a ball and they are playing the number two jazz suite, uh, which is also sometimes known as the saxophone waltz. And it is beautiful. It is a lovely, wonderful piece of music
1: which I will be playing as soon as we stop talking because I'm now, you've wet my appetite. Um, number four, the bad wolf.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny thing is that I've lived all over the world. I spent uh, my last 10 years before we moved back to the United States in Abu Dhabi. And prior to that, I've been in sub-Saharan Africa, North Africa, all over the Middle East, South Asia. And well, you
1: speak Arabic, right? I, I
0: speak Arabic and French and Italian in and French. a few other languages. And, whoa, you know, it's, it, well, it's important in the spy game yeah, to have no, a of fluency.
1: I've seen bon- James Bond movies. What do you take me for? <laughs> that
0: guy doesn't speak any languages.
1: No, I know. <laughs> Jason
0: Bourne is a better linguist than him. Okay, but, sorry, um, Jason Bourne. But one of the things that I came to love is Land Rover Defender trucks. And you all know them. It's the safari trucks that you see oh. all over Africa or in the old TV show Doctari, which is where I think I, <laughs> I really
1: remember Doctari
0: remember Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion. Yes. That's where I think I really came to like them. And although they were actually Land Rover Series threes, but the Land Rover Defender is a classic iconic car and I collect them. At one point we had eight. I have... Mm two here in the United States, and I have three still in Abu Dhabi, including a very rare six-wheel Defender 150 that was a fire truck for the Omani Air Force. So wow! the bad wolf is mine. And if any of you know the TV show Doctor Who, uh, you'll know that in season or series two, bad wolf was an omen for horrible
1: times. Oh wow! I'm going to tell my daughter that you have a bad wolf because she was a devotee. She don't uh, know. I, I I just hope you're not paying a monthly garage fee in Abu Dhabi. That could that could be very high.
0: Oh no 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 no! Believe me, people like to have that car sitting outside. So, oh, I bet they do. So they they can uh, so that they can take a look at it and have their photographs taken with it.
1: Oh well, so you should charge them. They should no.
0: Yeah, number five. Number five is, I'm literally looking at it right now, and uh-huh. it's a Swiss army knife that is was made for the French Foreign Legion. And I'm not a legionnaire, although... <laughs> funny, true story. We were in Abu Dhabi and I got into a fight with my lovely wife, who is French-Canadian. Oh. So, of course, oh. when she uh-huh. when she curses, she curses in French-Canadian, which is, <laughs> if you don't know their cuss words, they are the most hilarious, ridiculous words on earth because they don't say naughty four-letter words like us. They'll say things like, Christ of the tabernacle. <laughs> and I, I, I remember looking at her like, what?
1: That's not a bad word. Am I supposed word. to be scared?
0: Christ Chris <laughs> the Tabernacle. And I'm like, wait, did you just say Christ of the Tabernacle? And my children would go, who were raised in Montreal, they would go, oh my God, mommy said naughty words. And I'm like, okay. So we got into this fight in Abu Dhabi and it was serious. And I said, I'm going to Marseille and I'm going to join the Legion. <laughs> <laughs> She says, you won't leave and you won't join the Legion. And she goes, I said, why? And she goes, because they'll take away your top secret security clearance forever. And I was like, OK, well, that's, <laughs> uh, that's a B. good reason. But so that we we ended up going out for coffee, which is always a good reason. But I, I did work with Legionnaires in Iraq and Afghanistan, and uh, I speak French. So one of the Legionnaires gave me his exceptionally rare Legion-only issue Swiss Army knives, and it is a treasure, and I use it all the time.
1: Well, yeah. You, I mean, you're a country squire. You have to.
0: I, in fact, am. I do have a. I have a house. I have a house that's so big it has a name. Oh, really? Yes, I do. It has a name. Actually, both properties have a name: Reef Point, and this one's for your daughter, who's a Doctor Who yeah. saw fan. River uh-huh. River Song. She'll know what that stands for.
1: Oh cool. Oh, you're the coolest guy and I hear such love of life in your voice, Malcolm. I'm so I'm it's just really fantastic to talk to you and you've made me feel better, honestly. Even though the first part of our conversation was dispariting because of the content You absolutely turned it. Now, I want to ask you before we wrap up, Mm. if people want to reach you, people listening to the show want to reach you, what is the best place for them to find you?
0: The easiest place to find me is on Twitter Mm -hmm. at at Malcolm Nance. That's M-A-L-C-O-L-M-N-A-N-C-E. And there's a link to Tapestry, the Terror Asymmetrics Project. And if you click that link, it'll take you to the website. And there is actually a contact us page and Mm -hmm. that contact me, I see every email that goes through there, unless it's a death threat that goes somewhere else, and I get a lot of those. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh, well. oh man! But you know, oh, like you said, it's I have a joyous life, a joyous existence, a beautiful daughter, two beagles. You know, I have an acre and a half memorial garden to my wife, and we just had a giant tea party on her angelversary. So I have a lot to be thankful for, and and all of you should find the same.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Malcolm.
0: It is my pleasure.
1: You've been listening to five things that make life better with me, Lisa Birnbach. Our guest today has been Malcolm Nance, the MSNBC expert on counterterrorism and intelligence, and the executive director of Terror Asymmetrics Project at Tapestry. You can follow Malcolm Nance at Twitter at Malcolm Nance. This podcast has been produced in New York City by the fieldtv.com. Our engineer is Kevin Watkins. Our team is Michael Ports Bresso Rucci, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. I wish you all a safe week. Wear a mask and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.